Well, good morning. You may be seated. Today is a very exciting day for me and for All Saints Church. As you know, we had Reverend Jessica Hughes here last Sunday sharing about her ministry in Uganda, and she is no stranger to us as someone who was sent out from this church. And so today we have a new missionary that we are introducing, someone who's not new to me, but is new to All Saints Church, the Reverend Dana Kraft, um, and his wife, Damaris, is over here, um, and their son, Noah, who is um, in Children's Church, and they've been at our home since Friday, and Noah is eight, and Eliana is eight, and so we've had a very energetic house for the past few days, um, but but. Father Dana has, is, a, is an Anglican missionary with the ACNA in Guatemala, and he's coming to share. And he and his family have planted a church in Guatemala City um, on the edge of the city landfill to minister to the people who live in and on the edge of the landfill and make their living uh, survive by gathering up things that come out of the trash trucks in the city landfill. And so would you please give a warm welcome to Father Dana Kraft. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. It's an incredible blessing to be here with you. Um, also the first day of uh, the first Sunday we have Advent. And um, I'm sure everyone wants to hear uh, stories of Guatemala and, and the challenges that we face and, and uh, the struggles we have. Uh, but the message I have for you today um, is more universal. Jesus came to, to save all of us, uh, irregardless of our, of our struggles, um, not dependent on how much we, our challenges, uh, how great our challenges are, um, no matter how distinct our, our weaknesses are. Jesus came, and that common denominator, the human heart, is the same here as it is in Guatemala. It is in the, the dump site, uh, where poetically the first Anglican church in Guatemala uh, has been planted. Um, and that's where we're here this morning. So uh, I'd like to take us, as we start Advent, I'd like to take us into, uh, um, to have a better, more three-dimensional view of Christ and, and, and what lies at the heart of this, this incredible season. Um, so let's begin. Uh, as, a type of, as a type of spiritual diagnostic, as a, as a doctor might um, uh, ask certain tests from, from, his lab, from a laboratory, they're, they're in his clinic or the hospital or, or scans. I'd like us to take a little, have a little spiritual diagnostic this morning. Uh, we need to check our spiritual health. And, and Advent is an incredible time to, to do this. Advent is so much more, so much more than, than how many perceive it to be. And especially for us in Guatemala where the church has, has certain unique qualities in Guatemala that, that present unique challenges that you don't, you don't face here. And so whenever we come back, especially this time of year, it's a blessing because we get to see the Christmas lights was with uh, Father Scott last night in his car and in a local neighborhood here and said, wow, look at all these lights and the cheerfulness. And um, in Guatemala, it's, it's very common. You have one, one uh, hard group within the church where uh, they don't even celebrate Christmas. You know, as they wear their wedding rings on, and this hand and the other hand, they'll tell you, no, we only practice things that are in scripture. 
well, the wedding band. Uh, that's church tradition. And uh, so it's wonderful to come back during this time of year. And it's wonderful to see these, these traditions. But let's do a little spiritual inventory this morning. I have a question, brothers and sisters. If we obey, if we obey all of the, all of the laws, if we observe the right customs, if we confess the proper doctrines, read the right books, and have the right friends, why do we even need Christ at all? Much less a Christ that we find in Jesus. All the talk today, all the talk of wokeness, nationalism, uh, the polemically charged politicking, mass media corruption, people shouting for the rights of this minority or that minority, um, the list goes on and on. But for us, for the Christian, what if I told you none of that matters? The cacophony of noises that we hear only serve to distract the people of God. The woman's story we'll be looking at this morning, um, it's an incredibly sublime, poignant story of a, of a sinful woman who's remembered as a sinful woman who with joy in her heart, with brokenness, with thankfulness, washes the feet of Christ with her tears, dries them with her hair, and anoints Jesus as Savior. The incredible story that we're going to hear this morning, uh, hopefully we'll put distance between all the noise that we have in our lives and really the reason for this season. Hopefully all of us can can rise up to have a faith that emulates the faith that this woman, that, uh, that she exhibits. And we'll see that nothing, nothing can detain, nothing can deter this woman from bringing and offering her true thanks, her true thanks offering at the feet of the true temple. So if Christ is our exemplar, we need to ask ourselves a few questions. Who among us this morning, who among us this morning would risk everything to enter a home where everyone is called by their sins and not their names? Which one of us would go and, and bear all, so to speak, and enter into a group of people where they will, they will, none, of us, none of them will address us by our names? They will only address us, address us as thieves, Crooks, charlatans, prostitutes. And we do that just to give thanks to the Lord. This morning, I hope to step, to step out of the way and allow the, gospels, uh, the gospel writer's own words to reveal the, the heart of this broken and sinful woman, uh, which will convey just how much we need a uh, Christ exactly as we find in Jesus. The story of the repentant young woman uh, washing Christ's feet with her tears, drying them with her hair. Um, she anoints the Lord with, uh, uh, with a flask of perfume that's at least, at a minimum, a year's worth of wages. Uh, and again, joyously she does this. And uh, I'll digress for a moment. In Guatemala, we suffer from various types of legalism, but one of the the things is within the church, we have the offering. We're all familiar with that. Then we have the diezmos. Diez from 10, 
the, the Ten Commandments and the Ten Percent. And for those who practice the diezmo, uh, as a pastor, I can say it's never ten percent. Maybe it's eight percent at best, five percent, two percent. But who are you fooling? You can't fool God. You're saying, in essence, okay, Lord, I don't, I don't trust you to provide for me, to take care of me and my family. I'll give you 10%, but I'm keeping 90% here in my pocket. So just let that sink in for a moment. We have a Lord that is asking for our allegiance. He wants 100% of everything. And it's so much more, so much more than we can, uh, than we can grasp superficially. And this, we will see this this morning. This woman, who she just she does just that. She gives all of everything. A little bit of uh, background context. Uh, this story can be found. It's one of those few stories that are in all four Gospels: uh, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 7, John 12. Uh, the text we'll be looking at mainly this morning is from from Luke's Gospel. Uh, so for those who have their Bibles or who don't my cell phone with me, those who want to take out their, their little devices, their, we call them Guatemala, their sin machines <laughs> to read their gospel. It just sounds strange to have this instrument of sin uh, be the doorway into God's word. But for those younger, younger amongst, amongst us, take out your phones. We're going to look at Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 39. And then we're going to jump down to 44, 44 through 50. There's a little parable inside there uh, in verses 40 and 43, but we're going to skip over that. Um, so as you're finding that, uh, one more item I'd like to note is the woman we're about to, to study. Again, she goes unnamed. Worse yet, she receives the title of sinner. Uh, we know she's a woman of means. Like I said, you're looking about 300 denarii for the, the flask that she breaks. Um, there's something really interesting that I find in, in here that puts this woman in incredible company. Like Lazarus, we all know the story of Lazarus and the rich man. That's Luke 16. Scripture records not a single word uttered by this woman. She's like Lazarus, very, very... Uh, dynamic, very dramatic story, and, and this conversation between the, the unrepentant rich man and, and, and commanding Abraham, imploring Abraham to, to send Lazarus like a, like a, like a gopher to, to bring water to him, and then to go back to his, his, the brothers in his house. I won't even direct Lazarus. He won't even directly confront him or speak to him because he's so beneath him. But Lazarus never utters a word. The woman that is story never utters a word. How many of us in the face of injustices, how many of us in the face of, of trials, of, of tribulations, of, of the times when we are innocent, will bite our tongue? Again, on so many of these levels, dear brothers and sisters, there's so much to, for us to chew on, for us to, in Spanish, the word is beautiful, masticar, that we, we just very slowly just chew on and let the words uh, into our hearts and souls. Uh, one last note, we also have, we also, uh, hopefully this rings a bell to some others uh, of you. From Mark 5, we have the woman that's cu uh, cured of the hemorrhaging. She also 
doesn't utter a word. So without further ado, let me jump in here. Luke 7, verse, verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair, the hair of her head, and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who was touching him. She is a sinner. Verse 44. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But since... Since the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. Ah, dear family, dear brothers and sisters, this, this is the Savior that we think of. This is the savior that, that comes into the world. And, and all of the, the silly, petty little arguments and you know, we really wasn't born on the 25th, uh, um, looking probably more in April and all of these things. It's, it's like missing the forest through the trees. It's irrelevant. The, the, the paradigm shifting, the paradigm shifting declaration that God the Father has in sending his son is so much more than, than, than we can imagine. The idea that God will take on weak flesh with muscle and bone and blood, uh, vulnerable to illness, to cold, to hunger. Uh, John's gospel is a great gospel to read when you want to see, yes, our our Lord, he thirsted. He was hungry. He was sleepy. Um, he's very much human like you and I. But this radically changes everything. And the least we can do, the least we can do is, is commem commemorate a time in our year, in the church calendar, to remember his entrance into the world. 
And we have so much time, so much focus upon, uh, especially for those of us in Latin America, on Holy Week, um, on Lent, the, the preparation, all the fasting, which is outstanding. For me, Christmas is second only to Easter. But Advent, Advent gets kind of snuck in there. Uh, by many accounts, uh, Christmas is the last, it's the last date added uh, to the church calendar. And in a way, I can, I can understand why. All of us have been born. Everyone's been born. There's even been, you know, on uh, historical accounts, there have even been uh, quite a few resurrected. Or even uh, beg to say that uh, there are even some that have been resurrected and it's not by, been by the hands of God. But only Jesus Christ ascends to the right hand of God the Father. And he works, he intervenes as our intermediary. He's, he works on our behalf. Um, so yes, the least we can do is just to commemorate his coming into the, into, into the world. But we need to also prepare our hearts and minds. It's not enough to go ahead and think, oh, look at the baby Jesus. Oh, he's so cute. Um, it's more than that. So if we could just take a little bit of that passion, a little bit of the, the sobriety that we see with Easter and, and Holy Week and apply that to the season of Advent. Really, who is this Jesus, this Christ? that we are commemorating, that we are um, celebrating his entrance into the world. And what is it that he's, that he's called to do? And I always preach down Guatemala. Uh, uh, it's a different dynamic, but I, I believe we can apply it here this morning. Um, I always said, for example, my wife, Damaris, good to see you. Um, Damaris is saved, for example. Damaris is saved not for herself, She's saved for Father Scott. Father Scott's not saved for himself. He's saved for his mother-in-law. His mother-in-law is not saved unto herself. She's saved for you, dear sister. This idea, this... And I love my American heritage. I love my American uh, brothers and sisters. But this idea, this American concept of this rugged individualism, it's great. It's, in a way, it's like socialism. On paper, it looks great. In practice, it might be great on the assembly line. It might be great on and business. It might be great in even certain types of athletic competitions. But this rugged individualism, the individual Christian, the Lone Ranger, does not exist. I would even like to say it's antithetical to the gospel of God. There are no Lone Rangers. This idea of family. This is, this is one of the, the key fundamentals that, that Jesus Christ entering the world, entering within a human family, is changing. How much easier it is, brothers and sisters, to dehumanize someone, rob them of the Imago Dei, rob, rob them of the dignity of God, and once you do that, it's very easy to steal from them, disenfranchise them, shut them out 
And again, I'm not, I'm not talking against uh, or for rights of any minority or any small, one small group over another. You know, for, for human rights, all of us have this innate dignity that God has bestowed upon us. And in the, in the, the coming the, and the, the fleshing out of God with human flesh is, is the epitome of that. That Imago Dei. And brothers and sisters, until we can begin to throw away all of our little um, categories floating all over, over our heads, until we can start to erase all of these satanic divisions that have come into the church, that have come into our lives, uh, the church will only continue to disintegrate. We are one family in Christ. We are one family under God. And we are saved for each other. When you, dear brother, when you go to sleep at night and, and, and you have crisis in your life, you have a challenge, you, you don't know where the answer is going to come from or how are you going to be liberated from something. I need to wake up with my pillow wet from tears for you. And again, it's, it's coming from the outside looking in. Now speaking of the church and capital C, the thing that we lack the most, brothers and sisters, is what? Empathy. Empathy. Just a few months ago, I celebrated my fifth decade in the world. Uh, I can say that with a, a smile. Uh, my fifth decade in the world, and, and you know, I thought a 50 would feel different. I thought it would think different. I saw some kind of magic switch would go off, and, um, but it's, it's not like that. However, now that I'm the oldest person in the room in most of our meetings and most of our, <laughs> our get-together gatherings and stuff, uh, I think my voice has a little bit more weight. I can come back and I can say, look, after you know, 50 years in this world, it's a lot of love I've seen. A lot of badness, a lot of love, a lot of people who are really good people, moral, ethical, faithful to their wives, faithful in their, in their work, their employer. Uh, but they're not Christian. You can be a really good person and not be a Christian. And unfortunately, this idea that empathy is something that's weak, the idea that empathy it doesn't show the strong American vision, the strong American rugged, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, individualism. It's antithetical to Christ. It's antithetical to any, any type of reading you want to take of Paul. Um, you know, we're called to love each other, sacrifice for each other, um, maintain ourselves in worship in a way that we're not going to offend someone else. They're not going to look and say, oh, look, a room full of drunkards uh, dancing and, and strutting about. Uh, we're always supposed to do everything with that intention. How is the unbeliever or the nominal Christian going to hear, going to feel, going to see, going to interpret my words or actions? And here we have this incredible story of this, this woman who's recorded as a sinner. It doesn't matter if she's a a prostitute, or it doesn't matter. Maybe her, maybe her father has uh, uh, a giant 
rent a camel business. <laughs> we know camels in uh, this time, you know, the largest of the unclean animals. So yeah, you know, if her, her dad had a giant rent a camel business, she'd be a sinner. <laughs> it's irrelevant. The point is, every norm, every custom, she willingly tosses aside. Jewish women would even, for most Jewish women, would never let their hair down outside. Many of them never even let their hair, their hair down within their own home. For to march into a room where everyone's there knowing her past, knowing her story, knowing everything about her, she doesn't care. She's heard of Jesus over the weeks or the, the preceding months. Um, sorry, my Spanish was tal vez. Uh, perhaps she had an intimate time with, with Jesus, that time where she was there one-on-one -on -one with him and, and she begged for forgiveness and he forgave her. Or maybe it was just something that she saw, she heard. And she went to the Lord privately in prayer. But this day, this afternoon, she was not going to be kept outside with love, with joy. Or I'd say one eye with these tears of shame, these tears of just brokenness, and the other eye with tears of gratitude and joy that she can come before the Lord and bring her thanks offering, regardless of what those around her say. And this idea we have to also note that for all these years that she was classified as a sinner, she wouldn't have been allowed in the temple. She wouldn't have been allowed in the synagogue. So she was systematically disenfranchised from coming before God. But look at us, brothers and sisters. We're here this morning, uh, here in this incredible town and in, in the mid-Atlantic of the United States as free women, free men, um, with limitless potential enjoying Advent. But for what purpose? That spiritual inventory that we're doing that I ask you today, for what purpose? We're not, sa we're not saved for ourselves. Salvation is one step along the path. It's one step along the way. There's a purpose behind it. And when you come back to, to Matthew's gospel, because uh, the story appears in all, in all four gospels, um, there's a condemning moment when uh, they criticize, when this woman's criticized because the, the perfume could have been sold and given to the poor. And Jesus comes back and, and scolds them and says, no, uh, the poor you will always have with you, but you will always have me. That hurts. I take that personally. So what is Jesus, what is he saying? He's condemning us, brothers and sisters, the church, capital C. The poor will always be with us. Why? Because we have dropped the ball. The prophetic words of Christ, knowing that 2,000 years and change in the future, that they'll still be homeless, they'll still be hungry, they'll still be those living on scraps they can find in the Guatemala City dump site. But there's more than enough Christians in the world, brothers and sisters. There should be no more hunger, no more sleeping out under the stars um, by choice. So, in our brief time this morning, it's difficult, 
brothers and sisters back home in Guatemala. Uh, my wife can attest. Our sermons usually go an hour, sometimes 90 minutes. Um, but hopefully in the short time you can see, hopefully in the short time together, when you go home today, turn off your cell phones. Pick up a printed Bible. I know all of you have printed Bibles in your house. Take out the scriptures. Engage, look, read, search out. Who is this woman? This strange gringo pastor from Guatemala, he, he mentioned something today about this sinful woman. I'm, hmm, I can kind of relate. Let me, let me see some more. Uh, and I promise you'll encounter Christ as you're looking. And you'll see uh, this incredible time of year. Remember the, the birth of the Savior. We're going to remember who God is, who we are in relation to God. And we're going to realize Satan, my enemies, my adversaries in this life will always call me by my sin. But Jesus Christ knows my name. Back in Jeremiah 1 5, we were formed by the Lord's hands in our mother's womb. We knit together our hearts, knowing in that time all the works that He had for us. That's a powerful God, brothers and sisters. That's so much more than a baby in a manger. That's the type of God that we should go and weep over, washing his feet with our tears, drying them with our hair, anointing them with our, with our best, most expensive oil, and saying, Lord, thank you. Here I am. Use me. En tu nombre, oh, Señor. Gracias, gracias, gracias. Amén. Amén.